This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Hired.com is offering a new freelancing and contracting offering. They have multiple companies that will provide you with contract opportunities. They cover all the tracking, reporting, and billing for you. They handle all the collections and prefund your paycheck. They offer legal, accounting, and tax support. And they'll give you $1,000 when you've been on a contract for 90 days. But with this link, they'll double it to $2,000 instead. Go sign up at Hired.com slash Freelancer Show. This week's episode of The Freelancer Show is brought to you by Earth Class Mail. Earth Class Mail moves your stale mail into the cloud, giving you instant access 24-7 and integrates with the tools and services you use every day. It's crazy that we've moved everything we do for the business over to the digital world, but still need to pick up, sort, and manage physical mail. With Earth Class Mail, you can get all of your mail scanned and accessible online 24-7. You can search your mail, send invoices over to your accounting software, sync important documents into cloud storage, deposit checks, and really just make running your business a whole lot easier. You also get real professional address to share publicly with customers, business partners, and investors. And you'll never need to worry about someone showing up at your door if you run your business from home. Now, I've checked out Earth Class Mail, and I think it's a brilliant solution that's perfect for businesses and independent entrepreneurs of all types. Visit freelancershow.com slash mail, and you'll get your first month of service free when you sign up. That's freelancershow.com slash mail. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 205 of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Reuven Lerner. Hi, everyone. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we have a special guest, Sherry Walling. Hi. Do you want to give us a brief introduction, Sherry? Sure. I am a clinical psychologist, and I work as a therapist primarily, so I take care of people who are stressed and suffering and trying to figure out how to live life well. And I also do some consulting with founders and the co-host of the Zen Founder Podcast, have some expertise in that area largely because of my marriage to founder Rob Walling and the sort of entrepreneur journey that we've been on throughout the last 20 years of our life together. And in my spare time, I raise two small kids and do a little bit of writing and speaking and going to the beach. I love how you make uh, raising two small kids sound like a part-time job. (laughs) It's just not that way around here. It's more like a, a third full-time job. But. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to jump in here and, and give a little bit more context to the conversation before we get going. I met Sherry in Las Vegas during MicroConf. And funny thing was, you know, I'd, I'd heard about Zen Founder and I listened to Startups for the Rest of Us, which is Rob's podcast. And I went to MicroConf last year. And, uh, you know, so I kind of knew who Sherry was, but I was sitting at a table during lunch and we were all just kind of discussing what we do and who we are. And it was kind of a large table. So Sherry was having conversations with people on one end, and I was sitting across on the other end of the table. And I think I said something to the effect of I'm completely overwhelmed, and I don't quite know where I'm going with my business. And somebody said, well, you should do a retreat. And I'm like, I know nothing about such a thing. And then they pointed at her. So <laughs> <laughs> so we chatted for a little bit. She had a lot of great insight. And then it turned out that uh, she has a book about founder retreats, which I bought about five minutes after talking to her. And I actually read it this morning. I've been trying to plan a retreat. I hadn't gotten around to uh, picking up the book, but I was like, I- I've-, I've just got to read this. And Ironically, I went for a drive up American Fork Canyon for about an hour because I needed some space. And then I read the book and I'm like, yeah, I need more than an hour. Anyway, a lot of context here just to say that we kind of got the expert on this on here to tell us why we need to do these retreats and how to do them. And I'll also point out that, as I said, the the book, uh, I read it this morning, it's not that long. And 
a lot of it feels like common sense when you're reading it, but at the same time, it really does kind of give you some context for how you want to plan these retreats and then what you want to do while you're out there. Sherry, I'm kind of hoping that you can explain to us where the idea came from, though. Sure. Can, can, I, I, think... can I actually just break in and say, can you tell us first what a retreat is? Because I'm really not 100% sure I know. When the oncoming army is coming at you? <laughs> run! Run! You strategically run, yes. <laughs> no. <laughs> And that's actually not a bad way to think about it. <laughs> if you think about the oncoming army rather than, you know, people carrying spears and swords and things, but it's the onslaught of the the tasks and the busyness of your life. And most of us have really full lives and lots of demands, especially people who are freelancing or who are running their own businesses. And I think we can live in this constant state of anxiety response even if we love being there, we sort of love the adrenaline and the busyness of this kind of life, there is certainly a time and a place to retreat, to run, to stop being in the in the midst of the battle or the heat of the startup or whatever it is that you're doing that's energy and adrenaline and sort of anxiety field for most of us and take a really strategic time out. So retreats are a way of thinking about how to step away from all of the stimulation in our modern technical world. So all of your email notifiers, all of your, I don't know, all of the bells and whistles on your computer that are telling you that you need to do things or think about things or respond to things and to stop and have some dedicated time to think and reset and decide whether the tasks that you are doing in your life are really the things that you want to be doing. So did you and Rob or somebody else you know come up with the idea of a retreat or you know it's a really long tradition one of the parts of my background is i grew up in a very religious family and have very religious people on both sides of my family and retreats are sort of part of many religious traditions so in my own journey i ended up in seminary for a couple of years and studied some monastic traditions and ignatian spirituality but then came to realize that yogis go on retreats and monks go on retreats and lots of people in different contexts who are seeking enlightenment you know retreats are a super old practice i think are catching up and becoming kind of popular because so many of us are so overwhelmed with busyness but people have been taking retreats, maybe generally for spiritual reasons, but people have been stepping aside from the tasks of their lives for, you know, thousands of years. Yeah, that makes sense. It's not something that I had really thought of until, you know, I heard a few people talk about taking them and I was like, oh, that sounds really nice. But for me, it sounds nice because it's, I got to turn everything off. Not necessarily that I go out there with any specific purpose in mind to, you know, learn something or to you know, figure stuff out. But at the same time, it's kind of hard to make those uh, 10,000 foot view decisions when I'm fighting hand to hand with something that I think is critical. There are lots of different ways to think about retreats. And I think so much of it depends on, on how you are and what's going on with you right now. I want to be clear that a retreat is not a vacation, right? When we go on vacation, we go do exciting, fun things. We lounge by the pool, maybe. We drink some margaritas. You know, it is a time to sort of turn off. But I think maybe a better way of thinking about retreats is a time in, like a time when you're really focused on a certain question or perhaps just focused on a time to 
rest and turn off all of the stimulation because you don't know what might be kind of percolating underneath the surface when you give yourself time and space to not constantly respond, be responding to demands and activities. So, I mean, you mentioned religious traditions and everything. So, I mean, like I'm Jewish and religiously observant. And so on Saturdays, I don't use the phone, don't use the computer and everything. So I have experience with like being away from work in that sense. But at the same time, I try as hard as possible not to do work during that time. But it seems to me that the idea of this retreat is yes, to step back from the day to day work and responding to clients and responding to those things. But yes, to think about where you want to go with your business. Like this is definitely sort of like a concentrated work time. Or did I get that wrong? No, you're absolutely right. It, it is a concentrated work time. And you might come to a retreat with a really specific question. Like, should I take on a co-founder? Should I raise my rates? Should I start saying no to this kind of client and transition my business more towards, you know, this other direction? So you might come to a retreat with a very specific question that you just really need the time to think through. So when I go on retreats, you know, I have this sort of system of big rolls of butcher paper and markers and I lay it out on the floor of the hotel or the cabin or wherever I am and just really record my thought process in response to the big question that I'm asking. So one of the first retreats that I went on actually was... I was really unhappy in my job. I was working as a professor. It was a job that I thought I would always want to have. You know, like I trained for a long time to do this job. And I, have I a PhD. Had... You don't have to convince me. <laughs> you, you think you want it, right? Oh, oh. So you can sort of see where the story goes. But <laughs> I thought I should be happy, but I was really unhappy. So I started just writing all of the things in my life that I didn't like. And so many of them came back to this particular job. And so right there and then in this retreat, I decided I, I need to leave this position. I need to do something else. And it was a really important moment of clarity. So one simple way to start with the retreat process is to simply ask what's going well in my life, what's not going well. And when you ask that, it's like, what clients do I really enjoy working with? How can I pursue more of that kind of client versus... What kind of clients are totally sapping me or what kinds of projects am I working on that I just dread thinking about or working on? And then you kind of ask the question, how do I eliminate these, these experiences from my life moving forward? But for most of us, it takes some set aside time to really think through those questions. I was going to say, you asked those questions and I started trying to think about that and I immediately got stressed out. And it's just because I have so many other things that I'm worried about right now. Just getting enough space in my head to really consider those things, it's rough. I mean, how long does it take for you to, you know, once you get away from everything, you know, you you turn off the phone or you turn off the notifications, you, you know, turn off your laptop, you get out and spend, you know, in your book, you said that it takes, what, like half a day or something to kind of get that space, you know, where you don't have all the inputs. Right. Even just to like start breathing again, I think it yeah. takes a good six hours. I would recommend going on a retreat for a minimum of two nights, three days. I think it does take that long to kind of turn off your brain and let your body calm down. And I know for me, the usually the first night I'm on a retreat, I'll sleep for 10 or 12 hours. Like I'm just exhausted. I don't feel exhausted in my daily life, but once I give myself the space to sleep as long as I want to. It, wow, it turns out I sleep a lot longer than I thought. Huh. And so I think it does take a lot of time to just 
walk around, calm down, get out of the space of responding and into a space of being more observant and self-reflective. And that's a big transition for most of us. So giving yourself a lot of time. I've gone on retreats for one night and it it's just not enough time for me. So I have to ask, let's say that you're going on this retreat then and you have more than one big question. So maybe you have two or three things, you know, there's something really pressing that you're trying to figure out with your business. And then you've got maybe something with family or personal, be it, you know, spiritual growth or, you know, some personal challenge that you're dealing with or some area of your marriage or something with one of your kids. And so you've got three or four of these things you've got to figure out. Do you take a longer retreat or is two days enough time for you to kind of move from one area to the other and just work through one problem until you sort of exhaust it and then work through the next one until you exhaust that one and then come back to the other one when it kind of bubbles to the surface again. Well, I don't know for you. (laughs) (laughs) I think a couple days is at least a good start. And I think if you can't get a little bit of traction on a couple of questions, I think more than four is probably too much to tackle in that amount of time. But two to three, three to, you know, three to four, something in there, that seems reasonable. You know, you have a chunk of time to, you have a whole afternoon to think about, wow, how's it going in my marriage? How am I doing with my kids? Am I the kind of parent I want to be? And then you have a, an afternoon to think about, you know, your client base and whether or not you're doing the kind of work you want to do. But sometimes not being able to gain traction or not being able to answer your question is its own source of information, right? You either need more data or you need some more input, or you need more time. So I guess that's the other thing about retreats is those type A among us who are so good at setting goals and executing those goals in a timely manner might find retreats a little bit frustrating because you're, you know, your psyche doesn't always work on the time demands that you give it. So ask those big questions, take a lot of notes, take as much time as you need. But if you don't feel resolved about a question, then there's certainly no need to try to force a resolution after your 48-hour retreat just because you said you were going to when you set out on your adventure. You know, it's interesting. As you're you're talking now, I'm really thinking, and first of all, I was thinking, well, what have I done until now? Like, what do I do without retreats? How do I deal with these big questions in my work? And there's a very simple answer to that, which is I spend six months going to my wife saying, oh, this is such a problem. Oh, and so we sort of, I guess, instead of having me having concentrated time to think about and try to improve things, I just stretch it out and it probably affects me in other parts of my life. I know it affects my family because they're hearing about my tension in my my uh, agita all the time. But then when you talk, when you said, uh, maybe even off, uh, as part of an aside, like, well, what kind of parent am I? I don't know the last time I took time to think about if I'm doing the things that I want to in my personal life, because I'm spending so much time with my work, concentrating on doing this and doing this and doing this, just sort of sit back and say, what could I be doing? What could I change to be a better parent? I just cannot remember the last time I even sat around and, and said that. And it's embarrassing, but true. I think it's really common. You know, I think we just do our lives and you're a good enough parent and a good enough worker and a good enough spouse. So there's not like a burning problem. And so for many of us, there's not a need to really like sit down. Like, do I want to stay in my marriage or not? I mean, unless you're desperately unhappy, you're not going to get into a therapy office or meet with your rabbi for counsel. You just march along. But I think that there's some mistake and not really being intentional about examining our lives because 
we might be able to do better, right? To really press in, to make a couple of tweaks to how we interact with our kids that feel much better to them and much better to us. But when we don't sort of stop to think about it, then I think we miss some opportunities. Well, one thing that I am kind of thinking about here as we've discussed this is that some of the conclusions that I, I'm assuming at least that I would come to are things that I've sort of avoided even admitting to myself for example, I mean, I joke about not being in shape, but I'm really not in shape. And, you know, you're talking about, well, what, you know, being a better parent. And, and that's something that, you know, I kind of feel guilty about offhand. And I worry a little bit about going on this retreat and having to admit to myself how far out of shape I am or, you know, how irrational I am about certain other things and having to come to terms with that without anything to distract me and take my mind off of those particular issues that are not easy for me to deal with emotionally. I mean, how do you get around that stuff? How do you get your hands around it so that you can appropriately deal with it? I think retreats are really hard. I mean, I think introspection is really hard because like you're pointing out, most of us are pretty motivated not to really tell ourselves the truth about certain aspects of our life. And so, you know, things like shame or other emotional processes are actively working against this kind of thinking or self-reflection. And so I think one of the things that is helpful about a retreat is that you do have time to feel crappy if you need to. You can feel bad for a little while. You can sort of face some hard truths and you don't have to like turn around and pick kids up from school and run people around. You have the space to be bummed. But I think it's really important even as you're feeling bad, to ask the opposite question. What's going well? What do I love? I'm not in shape, but how am I spending my time instead that's valuable? How did I get to this point of not being in shape? And what control do I have over it? And, you know, what trades did I make to get here? And do, do those trades still make sense? Does mm -hmm. that make sense how I'm thinking about that? Yeah, it does. So, you can't like totally stew in the hard part of your life because the reality is that for you to even be in this place and be as busy as you are and have your life as full as it is, more things are going well than not. I, I think you also said something really important there, and that is is that it's it's okay to feel bad about it. I mean, yeah, certainly you don't want to focus on the negative, but at the same time, yeah, having that room to actually say, you know what, I'm not doing as well here as I would like and actually, you know, give yourself permission to feel that, to process it, and then to be able to say, okay, I do have some control here. And, mm -hmm. you know, my life isn't falling apart, you know. I could go be doing these things with my kids if I were in shape, but the reality is is that we went to a soccer game on Saturday and had a good time. And so I'm doing okay as a dad, and if I'm going to focus on this area, my health, then I can do better as a dad, but I don't have to, you know, I'm, I'm done feeling bad about it. And I'm now recognizing the ways that I can improve and recognizing where I have succeeded in the other areas. Sometimes it's those negative emotions that are important motivation to make those kinds of changes. And I know like all of us as people are pretty motivated not to have negative emotions or not, not to feel bad. <laughs> but there's a reason that we have the capacity for those kinds of feelings and they're important. We don't want to let them like run out of control, but they're important correctives in terms of what, what we should be doing or, or what's best in our lives. 
the way you're talking about this retreat, I assume this is something you do on your own. So is there something to be said for a retreat with your spouse? Or is this really something that you do on your own thinking about you and your relationship with them? Rob and I both take two retreats a year alone. So usually in December, January, and usually in the summer, June, July-ish, sort of a setting the goals for the year, reviewing the year, and then a, a check-in about how progress is going or or how our, our intentions and plans are playing out. And then we, as a couple, try to go away twice a year where we are intentional about asking some of these retreat-ish questions, but then we also kind of do fun stuff together too. So it's I would say that especially for freelancers, for founders, for people who are running their own business, this is important to do by yourself. And then if you can manage to find the time and the childcare and the organization or whatever to do something like this with your spouse or your partner, then that can be really helpful as well. That makes sense. And it's, it's interesting because, uh, you know, I've done the, some of these kinds of trips with my wife where we just go somewhere and do stuff. And it's a lot of fun. But yeah, we don't go into some of these questions. And I think sometimes we really would come away and benefit from, you know, some of these questions being answered or, or having the discussion over, you know, where we're at and where we want to go and what we want to do. The thing that's really kind of interesting about those questions, though, is that when I try and ask my wife about those things, a lot of times she just gives me an I don't know, and I don't have time to think about it right now. And I think this kind of a retreat would benefit it would benefit us because, again, we're getting away from those kinds of distractions. You know, we'll call our kids every night and, you know, make sure that, you know, they know we care. But just having the space to have those conversations, I think, would really help. I think it's also really great to have a an evening set aside to talk to your your spouse after they go on a personal retreat. So that's one of my favorite things is is Rob will go on a retreat for a couple of days and then we kind of set aside an evening, get a sitter or whatever, and I'm like, tell me about what you thought about. Like tell me about how it went. Like what do you think? You know, so I get to sort of join in his experience as a listener and get to kind of support him or give some feedback about the things that he decided as he was thinking through his retreat questions. So that's also a way I think for people to connect. I mean, Chuck, you talk about your wife, like not having the time or space to ask any of these questions. I mean, how great would it be for her to go on a retreat and kind of check in with herself about how my parenting, how is my health? How are, you know, am I growing personally in the ways I want to? Am I reading the kind of books I want to? And then to come back and tell you about it after she's had the time to think about it. That was actually my next question is, I don't know how my wife would actually respond to something like this. If I said, hey, I would like you to go take this retreat or would you like to go take this kind of a retreat? And so I don't know quite how to talk her through, you know, going and doing something like this. I mean, I would like, I mean, even if she just got two days worth of space, that would be, I think, something but to actually have her go and be able to figure out what she wants and where she wants things to be headed and things like that, I think it would be very beneficial for both of us. I mean, probably more for her than for me. But at the same time, I don't know quite how to get her to that place where she would go and do that. I mean, I can sit down and talk to her, but is is there a way to frame this so that it makes sense to her that, you know, she would kind of approach this the same way I do as a, a business owner as well as a dad and all the other things that I am? I think the process is parallel. 
she's the CEO of the family. She's running a show. <laughs> she's got kids to manage and things to do. And even, you know, first spouses who work and have other things going on. I yeah. think even listening to the, this conversation, if you can tie her down and make her listen to your podcast <laughs> or, um, you know, having her skim through the retreat guide that I put together, which is designed to be really short and easy and practical and like no theory, just here's what you do and here's why. But I, I think it's for most people like a lovely invitation. Hey, how would it feel to you to have some silence, to have some time alone, to have a break from all of the responsibilities that you carry? Yep. And she's, she's busy. I mean, we have five kids, so... You know, and I sent her on a vacation last month. You know, she went out and visited her best friend for a week. But again, that's not the same thing. And she, you know, as much as I sent her to get some downtime, she really didn't get any. And so that's the other thing that I keep thinking is that, you know, if she does have that downtime, you know, even that just a day to relax and then, yeah, start asking some of these questions and and kind of come to that place while she, you know, gets some physical downtime, I think would be really nice. And I want her to be happy, too. I mean, it's not like I'm sending her off just so that, you know, okay, figure your crap out so that I can have a better life. You know, it's, it, it really is. I mean, I, you That'd know. That'd be a one-way trip if you phrase it that way. Yeah. <laughs> That's not the pitch I would make. Right. You know, what, what I really want is I want her to come back and tell me how we can continue to do the things that we're doing that work. And, you know, at the same time, also do whatever it is that we need to do so that she's getting what she wants out of life too. Cause I mean, there's there, it's not an either or right. It's not my way or her way. You know, there are definite things that I can do both in and out of the business to arrange things so that she can get what she wants as well as me getting what I want. And, you know, there's no reason why we can't arrange around those things. So, you know, but a lot of times there's not clarity around what those are. Right. So you're asking the question, like, what do you need in your life and how can we tweak things so right. that you get a little bit more of what you need, whether that's time or space or exercise time or, or, or whatever. Yeah. It's about problem solving together. But until you know the problems that need to be solved, you, you can't really implement any changes. And, and in some ways, that's the retreat question. What needs to be different? What can be better? What's going well? What do we need more of? Yeah, that makes sense. And then you make a plan. And it, it feels to me like if I were to do one of these retreats, and you're, you're making it sound very attractive, I must say. Um, <laughs> al- although, although I think if my family were to hear me say, oh, by the way, in addition to all the travel that I do, I'd like to go away for two days. I might take uh, yeah, some, some smart pitching there. I don't know, though, because, I mean, the way that, that it's been put forward, you know, by Sherry, as far as, you know, you get away to figure these things out, just pitching it in the sense of this is what I'm hoping to get out of it. You know, more clarity, mm-hmm. uh, more happiness, more rest, a better vision of where things are going. I mean, they all benefit from that. The other thing is, and this is something that uh, has had a profound impact on me just over the last five years of being out on my own, is that things have, you know, gotten hard sometimes. And I've gone to my wife and I, you know, I'm just like, you know, I'm sorry, things are so hard and blah, blah, blah. Do you want me to go get a full-time job? I've asked her that a couple of times. And she has always said that she's much more interested in me being happy than me being less busy. And so if that means that you can take a couple of days to get that benefit, you know, you'll find that your family is behind that. Okay. Okay. So that was pretty convincing. I guess part of my worry is, and this might be like ridiculous, but 
okay, I'm going to come up with all these issues, all these problems. When you say make a plan, I guess it's sort of like a, you know, like a software project to sound like a nerd here, which is there are always way more issues. It's sort of like, you know, backlog on the software project. There are way more tickets, more, way more bugs, way more features you want to deal with than you have time to deal with and you have to prioritize. And so I guess mm-hmm. I'm guessing that part of the goal of a retreat is then not just to identify problems and issues, but also prioritize what you want to work on. What are the most important issues to fix in the next six months, year, or until the next time you have a chance to think about them. Absolutely. And I think one of the benefits, though, of sort of listing all the problems, so to speak, is that often there's themes that link the problems. So there's themes maybe around being too busy and missing stuff with your kids, or there's themes around really, really difficult clients that are stressing you out or creating a lot of like internal havoc for you. So I think if you sit down, at least this has been my experience and Rob as well, and and people that we've sort of talked with about this, if you list like, these are the things that my low points for the year, like the things that I just, my low points where I was sad, I was depressed, I was angry, I was at my worst. Often there's some interrelationship between those low points. And so it might not be like 86 different bugs. It might be three that are really (laughs) causing a lot of problems, maybe across domains of your life. Or at least you can sort of identify, these are the priorities. These are are my real pain points. And here are some ways to problem solve around them. Yeah, it makes sense. And in the book, you actually talk about this where you say, you basically say, okay, you've identified the problems, you've identified possible solutions, and then you make a plan, you make goals. And you don't come out of it just with these ideas of, okay, these are the things I'm going to fix, but you come out of it with ideas and specific plan for solving those issues. And sure, I mean, you may come back and you may have that evening with your spouse or significant other where you basically have the conversation and you tell them what you've learned and you tell them what you've decided and you share your plan with them and, you know, they help you tweak it a little bit more to get closer to where you want or, you know, closer to where you both want. There's nothing permanent about those plans, but just the fact that you were able to get enough room to have those conversations with yourself and then make a plan that you can then uh, go forward with is a big deal. I I have another question for you, Sherry, and this is for some of those uh, people, the freelancers or business people who look at where they're at now and they're, they're just like, there's no way I can even take two days off. You know, I can't afford to not work for two days or I can't just tell my family and my clients and my customers that, you know, I'm out of reach for two days. I mean, what do you do? I mean, it seems to me that the trade-off for clarity, it makes a lot of sense for me where I'm at, but I can see other people looking at it and going, I don't know if I can afford the time. Well, on one hand, I would make that a problem to solve over the next six months or the next nine months. So maybe you can't go right now, but look for a gap in your projects or look for a time when it's maybe more possible and then talk with some friends about house sitting for them or going camping or, you know, you don't have to go to a fantastic hoity-toity retreat center or hotel. You can go anywhere that is affordable to you. Go to a hostel, go to, you know, there's lots of options. In the short term, though, And this is a little bit of a tweak on the retreat conversation, but in the short term, I think it can be really beneficial for all of us really to just begin to cultivate the capacity for increased self-reflection. So again, one of my favorite self-reflection questions is what went well, what's life-giving, 
And then what sort of sucked life from me today? What were my low points today? So if you can't go on a retreat and ask these big giant questions, just ask it every day in a small way. Spend five minutes jotting down a couple notes about how you felt about what happened in your life today. And then maybe begin to integrate a little bit of meditation or quiet or silence, a little bit of prayer if that's your background or your interest. So the thing about retreats is you're reflecting, you're looking back, you're thinking with silence and quiet without distraction, and then you're making a plan for the future. So you can do all of that every day in 15 minutes which I'm sure you can find. And that will at least begin to develop those muscles, so to speak, those self-reflection muscles, so that when you do have time to set aside some time for those really big existential questions, you'll have all of this data about what's going well, about what is not going well, about how you're feeling. And then I think you'll be in a great place to do a retreat, even if that's a year down the road. So do you ever schedule a retreat when you have a big decision to make that's sort of outside of your regular retreat schedule? I do. I do, actually. Do those are, go any different than just a regular retreat? I think they're very focused. So I don't do this big self-reflection over the past year or six months. I, I really just sit with that question. I make lots of pros and cons lists. I do a lot of walking I think about what I'm afraid of about the various decisions that are available to me. So I think I even outline this in the book too. These different kinds of retreats, whether they're broad self-reflection or whether you really have a burning question that you need to deal with, whether it's to change your kid's school or leave consulting for a job or leave a job for consulting or whether you need to change something in your marriage. If something has happened in your marriage that's disrupted you and you need to really spend some dedicated time thinking about that. Those might be a shorter retreat or you might not have as much time, but to really, again, spend this dedicated time thinking through the question is really important. So let's say that I'm an entrepreneur and I decide this isn't too far from life. I'm, I'm trying to figure out when I can take one at this point. But let's say that I figured out, okay, I can do a retreat maybe in a month. And I got the weekend kind of blocked out. What are kind of the next steps to plan this out? Because it doesn't feel like it's something that you just kind of go, oh, I've got a couple of days. Here we go. Yeah. If you have the time to plan, then you might choose a couple of questions that are important to think about. I would also be intentional about where you go. So finding a place that is relaxing to you, that's rejuvenating, that's not too distracting. So, you know, for many people, that's the, the forest or the ocean, sitting by a lake somewhere where there's not a lot of stimulation or noise. I'm five hours from Las Vegas. Terrible idea, huh? Yeah. No, 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 no. Don't do that. <laughs> there's nothing distracting there, luckily. No, nothing. <laughs> so yes, somewhere quiet. And then I would dedicate a notebook or a roll of paper or something that becomes your kind of retreat tool that you go back to over the course of your retreats over time. So gather some materials. I would recommend you not take your computer if you can at all get along without it. And then if you have the time to prepare in advance, then yes, pick a couple of questions that you want to sort through. If you don't have the time, then that's okay. You can begin with some more general questions and see where your thoughts kind of take you. That makes sense. Now, you mentioned you take like a big section of butcher paper 
I mean, do you do that? Do you take a notebook? Do. do you take a journal? Uh, just whatever works for you? Yeah, I think there's lots of different ways to do it. Rob has a, a retreat notebook that he has kept for years. And he every retreat, he just does a new entry. It's full of this sort of brainstorming and lists and thoughts and things like that. And I have these random scrolls of butcher paper because I like to get down on the floor and be nonlinear and write in different sections. And I'll sometimes make a list of sort of things related to my kids or things related to marriage, things related to my work. And I need the space to spread out and be nonlinear. And then I will take a picture of it or, you know, when I get back, I'll kind of summarize it in a, in a Google Doc so I have a record of it. But yes, I have all of these scrolls of butcher paper sitting around that have been written all over with colored markers and they sort of look like, I don't know, like somebody dropped mushrooms and had too good of a time. But they are really actually very helpful and insightful to me. One thing that occurred to me was that I might want to take something to record into my phone. But the problem I have with that is that it's much harder to sort of get to the part that you want if you want to go back and look it over again. So one of the things that I really like about writing is that it slows down your brain. So most of us write a lot slower than we think. And most of us type faster than we write. So actually handwriting something tends to be a way to kind of slow down our process and help us to be a little bit more emotionally integrated in what we're writing. Believe it or not, people study this. And in terms of an audio recording, yeah, I, I haven't done it that way. But it'd be interesting to hear how it goes if you if you do decide to do it that way. Or maybe you do some writing first and then you do some recording if you're more of a verbal processor. I'm much think, more of a verbal processor. Yeah. I could tell that about you. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny you said this about the right because like my handwriting has been just atrocious from a young age. And so I learned to touch type at like, I don't know, the age of 13 or 14. And it's so much faster and easier for me to type. But I think if I were sitting somewhere and really just sort of trying to actively think, because I was thinking, first of all, there's no way on God's great earth that I would bring a notebook or a piece of butcher paper because <laughs> it would be unreadable to me to others. But I think it is true that if I were to sit and take the time and write it out and not feel the pressure from the outside world, then maybe I could write things and I would definitely feel that connection that you mentioned. Well, the other thing for me is that when I'm in front of my computer, I'm in a different mode. If yes. I have a piece of paper in front mm -hmm. of me, I am totally in a different headspace. And so since the computer headspace is very well defined for me because I spend all day on the computer, I think that a piece of paper, it would be easy enough for me to switch into the mode where I can let go of a lot of the stuff that I deal with when I'm on the computer and just make it happen on paper, in a notebook, in a journal or whatever. And that's a really important piece is you're, you're disrupting whatever patterns you normally are in. So if you spend most of your time in front of the computer, as most of us do, then don't do that. Do it a different way so that you are kind of using some different brain circuitry and you're engaging your kind of inner life and expressing it in a way that is abnormal for you or atypical. How, how long have you been doing these retreats uh, for yourself? About five years. Well. Now, when you go, do you usually go somewhere close to home? I mean, I'm thinking, I mean, I live right near the mountains. Like I look out my window and I see mountains, you know, cause I live in Utah. And so I'm thinking, oh, well the beach would be heavenly, but I'd actually have to travel to get to the beach. And then part of me thinks, well, 
it'd be nice because the weather is getting really nice these days to just go up in the mountains and just hike. And so I'm thinking like Park City or some campground up one of the canyons or something like that. And I, I think in a sense, something close by would be nice just from the standpoint of I don't have any of the stress of travel going and coming. And the other thing is, is that it's a whole lot less of sort of a financial thing to be able to go. Uh, What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I like to go somewhere within just a couple hours drive of my house because I think the retreat sort of begins when I get in the car. I intentionally don't listen to podcasts or sometimes I'll turn music off altogether and drive in silence, which is, again, like atypical and unusual for me. But to even begin to slow down and stop all the noise and stimulation on the drive, I think is helpful. And I agree with you about when time is so precious, I think spending the time to make a big trip for a retreat is probably not recommended unless you have extra time and you can still, you know, have your set aside time to just relax. I think it would also be hard for me to get on a plane right after a retreat and just sort of deal with the airport and deal with all that stuff. I think it sort of kicks you out of retreat mode too abruptly. It's a violent, violent departure. <laughs> right. The other thing that I had considered in the past was taking the retreat when I'm already away. So for example, I very seriously considered doing the retreat immediately after coming back from microconf because I was already gone. And so I would just stay gone for an extra couple of days. But ultimately that didn't work out for me. Is that a good idea? Or do you think maybe the ideas from the conference or whatever other follow-up you need to do from the conference may overwhelm the retreat? I think that's possible. I mean, I think you have to do what works well for you. If it's easier for you to stay gone, if you're already gone and not reimmerse in life, then do that. If you are coming away from microconf or another conference and you feel sort of distracted or hyper-focused on that material and maybe not your thoughts aren't necessarily representative of your normal day-to-day life, then yeah, that could be a little bit problematic. But I think practically people, it's more important that people just do what works for them rather than get too technical about when or how. That makes sense. So can I ask you a question, Jack? Oh dear. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, what, I I remember our conversation at at lunch at at microconf and, and you sort of feeling overwhelmed and busy and kind of not sure which way you were going or coming. But what made you interested in the idea of retreats? I mean, ultimately, there there are a few large decisions that I've been making in the business lately. And, you know, those kind of occupy a good chunk of my mental space. And then there are all the day-to-day things that I have to manage that I had kind of let go for a while and then had come back around rather abruptly to having to deal with them just because I had neglected them. And so it was, it was okay, well, I'm totally overwhelmed making these larger decisions and then still having to deal with the day-to-day, day-in, day-out things. And the other thing is, is that, I don't know, I kind of go through this emotional, I don't know exactly how to describe it, but uh, periodically I'm, I feel like I'm doing really, really well. And then uh, within probably about three to four weeks, I feel like I'm doing really, really poorly. And that feeling a lot of times has no bearing whatsoever or no relation whatsoever to the actual reality of things. It's just the way that it is. So I'm up for a few weeks and then I'm down for a few weeks, like not depressed and not, I don't know what the opposite is. You know, I'm not manic and I'm not depressed. I'm just, you know, but I'm, I'm feeling really good about things for a while. And then it's, 
oh, I'm doing so badly. And, you know, and then I look at things and I realize, no, it's not as bad as emotionally you're feeling. And I feel like a lot of it just comes from gaining some feeling of control. And then eventually something will come up that will demonstrate that I don't have the level of control that I felt like I had. And so just being there, I kind of hit that point about two or three days uh, before I left for, or I hit my down point a couple of days before I left to go to build, which was a conference I was at right before I went to microconf. Like I flew from San Francisco to Las Vegas and, you know, from one conference to the other. And so I was kind of dealing with a lot of that. Of course, microconf kind of uh, pumps me up. And so, you know, I came home on a pretty high note, but yeah, it's, it's kind of that way for me. And I feel like if I felt like I had a better grasp on things, then in a lot of ways, I would feel better about things and I wouldn't, I wouldn't have these slumps in the middle of things. The other thing is, is yeah, I mean, it, it hit right when I was feeling overwhelmed with things because I was realizing just how much stuff I had to do to get caught up after being gone for a week and a half. Yeah. Be interesting to really spend some time thinking about those low points yeah. and like why, if you can track what causes the slump or what is bothering you during the slump and, and yeah, do some reflection on that in a retreat type setting. Yeah, I think there's a lot to unpack there. I think I understand some of the reasons behind it, but I don't think I completely understand all of them. So anyway, but I have noticed that there's this cyclical pattern to it that happens probably every two to three months. I go up and then I go down, and then I go up and then I go down. And yeah, just, just getting to a place to understand that. Yeah, it'd be good to track that data too, if you're somebody who does that. I would like to do more of that, but a lot of times I don't feel like I have the the time or it's just another thing for me to worry about that adds stress. So it's kind of a weird thing. I'm definitely a data-driven, data-interested person, but at the same time, it's like, uh, one more thing for me to keep track of. It's just kind of hard. (laughs) Right. It's hard to keep data about ourselves, especially when we don't want to see the data. (laughs) I know, right? But yeah, I, I think it might be interesting to track that and you know, in reality, I mean, I could probably track it a few times a day and it wouldn't impact anything. And I could just set reminders. So it's like, look, you don't even have to think about it. When it pops up on your phone or your calendar, then you just log it and move on. And of course, there's an app for that. There's... Of course there is. There are probably <laughs> 10 of them. Yep, exactly. Mood tracker is one. And yeah, there's things like that where you just get a random pop up and you like rate how you're feeling and according to like a series of emoji faces or a number or whatever. And Go about your day. If you get out on your retreat and you start to realize, A, the business would be better off if I did these things and not those things, and you also come to the conclusion that you hate doing these things and you love doing those things, what do you do? Well, you write it down. <laughs> Good plan. <laughs> you write it down. I mean, those are big decisions and they require lots of kind of thought, obviously. But I think knowing that that's your preference is a really important starting point, even if you're not going to go home and change your business that next week. But knowing that maybe that's where you want to go, that you're driving a big ship, your life is a big ship, and it can't turn that fast. So if you have these insights about what you want to change and what would be different and what would be better and where your sweet spots are, give yourself time to sort of test your theory And then take some steps in that direction and see how it feels. So rash decision-making obviously is never recommended. I'm really good at it, though. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you have a a unique skill. That's what I've been told. Most people people crash and burn a little bit that way. 
Oh, I, I do that too, but it seems to be working so far. <laughs> I think you should write your own retreat guide. How to make really quick decisions based on your emotions. You know, it's... it's no, it's... it's. I mean, yeah. Ultimately, it's, it's funny because, I mean, some things... For example, I'm moving the websites over back over to WordPress. I made that decision within like two days, and that was during MicroConf. And I'm basically done with it now. And I, you know, I tend to make decisions that way. I mean, some of the decisions I agonize over. One of the other things that I, I would just point out that, and we had this conversation on the freelancer show, so I feel like I can kind of share some of the details. But uh, having a retreat would have been nice for the particular decision on uh, how I manage things with Mandy, who's the assistant that does the work on editing and posting the the podcasts. She does a lot of other things for me too, but we, we, you know, we had that conversation, you know, how are we going to structure things? And, you know, so initially I was like, yeah, well, we're just going to do what, you know, the guys on the freelancer show said. And then about a week later, I went back to her and I said, we're not going to do what the guys on the freelancer show said, you know, we're, we're going to do these other things instead. And then I thought about it some more and I really considered it. And I realized that, no, actually the part of what the guys on the freelancer show said that freaked me out was that I was going to try and turn everything over to her at once, where in reality, I wanted to make sure that, you know, we were moving along well in certain areas and then we would add in the other areas so we could work through things a bit at a time and make sure that we really deeply understood the processes behind things and really deeply understood the outcomes that that I needed from her and that she needed from me. And that was really empowering, you know, to come around to that. But if I had gone on a retreat and really thought about it, I probably wouldn't have put her through so much emotional angst while I figured out what I really wanted. So I, I see the value here and I'm excited about that. But yeah, I tend to make decisions rather quickly. And then, you know, I don't usually change my mind. But when I do, especially when it involves other people, it's kind of painful because they're getting this message one way and then the other way and then the other way. And then we finally settle in on it. So, yeah. I think, again, part of this deeper self-reflection process is thinking about what are my strengths as a person and what are my weaknesses? Like, where do I irritate other people? Where do I yeah. fall short of my commitments? Or where do I make life difficult for others or for myself? And that's also, I think, really fair game for retreat kind of work is to do a little personal assessment. What do I value right now? And am I really living out of those values? Where have I been a jerk to people? And how can I make sure that I... Not not that you've been a jerk to Mandy. That's my words, not yours. But how do you... Uh how do you figure out how to kind of be the kind of person that you want to be and have some awareness about that? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, it's not easy to make these decisions, but at the same time, I mean, yeah, you know, just recognizing, I don't think any of us want to really face down what we're bad at. I don't think any of us want to face down where we're essentially failing at whatever it is that we're doing, or at least not doing it to the extent that we would like to, or doing it as well as we want to. I have a real problem a lot of times with just admitting, you know, I'm not good at this or uh, admitting that, you know, I probably shouldn't be doing something that I really enjoy and then figuring out, okay, well, is that a decision I really want to make? And yeah. yeah. But I'll tell you, Jack, though, one of the things that I like about this retreat idea is that it turns into a regular part of your life. It's yep. not that, oh, I'm so bad. It's that, oh, this is the time once a year, twice a year, when I think about the things where I want to improve. And so it becomes not a matter of, oh, I'm so bad. Let me beat myself up. But 
everyone has places where they can improve. What am I going to focus on improving over the next six to 12 months? And I feel like that can then be you know, more of an upper than a downer. Yeah, exactly. Well, the other thing is, is that a lot of my ups and downs, I really feel like come down to control. And it's not control over the fact that it's like, I have ultimate say about everything, but it's, I don't even know where I'm going sometimes. And then just having that and saying, okay, well, I'm going this way, which means I'm going to say yes to this and no to that. And really understanding the decisions that I'm making and knowing that, you know, I need to be steering the ship this way. You know, it puts me back at the helm so that I can actually make those decisions instead of feeling like I'm doing a lot of it off the seat of my pants and just kind of making up wherever it is that I think at the moment I want to be heading. I think you get some clarity about what you're in control of and what you're not. I mean, we can control a lot of how we react to things and a lot of decisions, but there's also a lot that we can't control. And I think that's what's so hard about being a freelancer, being out on your own, being a founder that you are your tool, like your intelligence, your creativity, your business savvy. And I think fitting right in with that is your your mental well-being, your capacity to handle stress, your capacity to make decisions, your capacity to cope well with the fact that there are very real limits to what you can control in the business that you're in. And I think, again, the retreat is part, it's a piece of, it's a tool to help people be as healthy and self-aware as they can so that they have kind of their maximum ability to be productive and well and use their, you know, yourself, your personal tool to the best outcome that you can in your business and in your life. Well, the other thing that I see is that when I was a full-time employee, I mean, the only outcome I really cared about was making my boss happy and not getting fired. I mean, you know, there, there were other outcomes, but they were all basically related to that. And as a freelancer or an entrepreneur, there are so many other things that come into play. I mean, the podcasts, you know, there are definite financial outcomes that are related to that for me that are important to me. But the thing that's really important to me is, am I helping people? Am I serving the audience well? And things like that. And so I've got that to worry about. And then I've got outcomes with other aspects of the business, with the remote conferences and with all the other things that I'm doing. And there are a lot of success scenarios where, you know, I come out of it with something that I wanted. And so I feel like, again, as a freelancer or an entrepreneur, A, I have a lot more. I mean, if I lean on the steering wheel, it's going to turn. In a lot of the companies I worked on, if I leaned on the steering wheel, somebody would push me off of it. So there's a lot of that going on. And then there's also just, okay, well, what about marketing? What about all the other hats that I wear in my business? And how do I approach those? And so it feels a little bit more overwhelming as a freelancer. And I think that's where this really comes in because I now have the time to go in and say, okay, well, what are the important things? Like what are really going to get me the outcomes that I want? What are going to take me along to the place that I want to go to? And It helps sometimes to have that master plan that's way out there, you know, five years in the future. But ultimately, if you're going to do another retreat in six months, it has to be good enough to get you there. And so, you know, you can take a lot of the pressure off. You can not worry about a lot of those things. And then you can take whatever time you need to get whatever big picture you need and then work it out so that you have a plan. Be that, you know, a large long-term strategy as well as, you know, some short-term plans that you can exercise and, you know, move ahead with until the next time you do it. And the other thing that I kind of have gotten out of this just through this conversation and thinking through this is that in six months, if I get in there and my long-term strategy or plan turns out, you know, I'm like, well, my values have changed and I want to go somewhere a little bit different, I can change it. 
And the last six months weren't a mistake. They were just going along with the best information I had. And now I have this time to go in and do some introspection and figure it out. It's kind of like agile development where you have the retrospective. Yeah, that wasn't working. Or we, we now have more information and realize that we have to worry about these outcomes too. And so you have better information to make better decisions that are going to get you along to where you want to go. You just summarized it beautifully. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. And the, the self-reflection is the information. Yep. Yeah, and, and man, I just, I, I have worried so long over the last five and a half years that I've been self-employed about making the wrong decision long-term. And ultimately, you know, I just have to make the best decision I can with the information I have. And if it turns out to be the wrong decision, then I'm finding that less and less stuff is permanent. And so I can go and I can change the direction of things later on. I find that bad decisions make for great stories. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) I just made another podcast fodder decision. (laughs) (laughs) And I fessed up to some of those on this show, but yeah, it's really true. By the way, moral of one of the stories, pay your taxes. Anyway, let's go ahead and get to some picks. Uh, Ruben, do you have some picks for us? Yeah, so I was actually sort of trying to figure out what to do in terms of the pick. And from Sherry's description of retreats reminded me, so I've mentioned even just recently this uh, terrific new podcast called Surprisingly Awesome, uh, where they take things that seem boring and they find how they're actually really interesting. And their most recent episode, as of our recording, the topic was boredom. And I remember starting to listen to this and thinking, oh my God, this sounds terrible. But they actually looked into boredom, and they took the hosts of the podcast, who are extremely busy, probably like all of us listening to the show, and they sort of forced them to be bored for a while. And then they asked them, what did you think? And I was shocked to discover that they said, wow, this was great. I didn't have my phone. I didn't have my computer. I could just sort of sit and think. And this was for 15 minutes. And it was amazing for me to think that it would actually be positive because I think I would be like gnawing off my arm or something like that. So the combination of what Sherry talked about and what they said in the podcast has really made me think about retreats and so forth. And in any event, it's a fascinating, fascinating episode to hear about some of the scientific discoveries they've done about why people are bored, what makes them bored, and how boredom is not necessarily a bad thing. Anyway, so that's my pick for this week. I was just thinking, I mean, what would be more painful for a teenager, taking away their phone or the rack? I think they have done studies on that and found that people go totally nuts if they don't have their phones and like start looking for things to do. And that's really what I expect in this episode. And yeah, I think the younger you are, the less likely you are to be able to deal with this. Or if you're a programmer. Yeah. Which is like really disturbing too. I mean, it disturbing in like the ways that our brains are so dependent on external stimulation at this point that we can't be internally entertained. Yeah. Like our, our, our imagination or curiosity. Right. So, yeah. All right. I'm going to put a couple of picks out there for me. I'm just going to pick a couple of uh, things that I have done or places that I've gone that I think would make great places for retreats. Uh, the first one is, and I've already mentioned it, Park City, Utah. If you're thinking, oh, Park City, like up in the mountains. Yes, that's up in the mountains. The thing that if you've never been to Park City before that you need to realize is they have kind of the main downtown area, which is essentially one road with like back alleys along the backs of the buildings so that, you know, businesses can have stuff dropped off to them without blocking off the main road. But Park City covers actually a really wide area up there. And a lot of it is secluded. 
And so if you want to go up there and you want to stay in one of the hotels, you can. And even that's pretty close to nature. Or you can probably Airbnb somebody's cabin up there and and find some space. Uh, not too far from that is Sundance, uh, which is up Provo Canyon. It's kind of halfway between Provo and Park City. Park City's kind of on the other end of Provo Canyon. It's up another canyon. And it's kind of at a crossroads there. But yeah, those are two great places to go if you are out my direction. Um, one other place that I've really enjoyed as far as ability to kind of get some downtime or, you know, that my family has enjoyed going to is Ventura, California. They've got a great beach and it's not very hard to get a ways out, you know, out of town. Now, granted, we went out there because my, my mom grew up in Thousand Oaks, which is uh, kind of in that area. But yeah, you can get a beach house. Or, you know, again, you know, something that's kind of off the beaten track a little bit, but is, you know, within 10 or 15 minutes of a couple of different towns where you can go get food and things like that. And, uh, yeah, fairly relaxing just to be able to get away on the beach. Uh, one other thing I'll point out is that the couple of times that we've gone out there since I've been an adult, we found that if you go around noon or a little afternoon on a weekday, there aren't that many people on the beach. So you can get a little bit of that seclusion. The other thing is, is that on one of the other beaches, I don't remember what it's called, but it's what, like 10 or 15 minutes north of Ventura. It's got kind of a public park area and then it goes down to the beach. And if you walk down along the beach a ways, you actually get down to part of the beach where it's beach, but there are rocks right behind you and stuff. And there aren't as many people there because the beach is rather shallow. So if you go down there during low tide, you get beach, but you don't have as many people around either. So anyway, those are those are all just kind of nice places to go and walk. And then obviously, uh, I have to pick a few other places in Utah because I just love them. If you want to go down to Moab and Arches, it's another great area. Or you can go to Zion National Park, and they've got some terrific places to hike or climb or both, if that is kind of the, the way that you need to get away. So anyway, those are some of my favorite places, so I just thought I'd share and pick them. Uh, Sherry, what are your picks? Well, to add to your location options, there's a website called retreatfinder.com where you can search for retreat spaces that are near where you are. And some of them are in monasteries or other small spaces that you might not know are right around the corner from where you live. And so it's, it's a good option at least to sort of check out places that might facilitate personal retreat, silence. They're sort of set up for that kind of thing. I have another pick, which is Headspace, the Headspace app. This is for folks who are sort of interested in having a little mini retreat in their mind uh, in five minutes or less. It's a app that sort of facilitates simple meditation and relaxation practices and can kind of get you in the retreat mode, even if you are not able to be away. And then finally, I, it's probably unseemly, but I think I should plug my own book, which is <laughs> the Zen Founder Guide to Retreat, which is available on Gumroad. And we have a, a link to it on the zenfounder.com site. I was actually going to ask you to plug your book after the pick. So thanks for doing that. Um, there you go. That's my pick. <laughs> <laughs> but I have to say it was a quick read and it was very, very direct as far as do these kinds of things, make sure you're doing these kinds of things, go to these kinds of places. Uh, a lot of great stuff in there. There are a couple of diagrams at the end of the book. And so, yeah, if you're looking for a good place to go and, you know, just kind of get an idea of how to set all this up, uh, we covered a good portion of it in this chat, but not everything. So I highly recommend that you go check it out if you're looking at doing something like this, because it'll really just walk you through, okay, these are the kinds of things that you need to be thinking about for you to get your retreat done. So anyway, thank you for coming, Sherry. 
My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me and for you know, talking about this topic, I, I think it's important and I appreciate you, uh, you valuing it enough to give it some space on your podcast. Well, I, you know, I mean, we do this to help people and I really think that it will benefit a lot of people to at least think about going on a retreat or finding ways to take time to do this kind of introspection. So thank you for coming and sharing your expertise. My pleasure. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this up. We'll catch you all next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.